Welcome to this presentation from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. We are located in the greater Los Angeles area at 9820 Lakewood Boulevard in Downey, California. We would love to have you worship with us any Saturday you are in our area. Today's message is the limits of freedom. Now, here's Bill Almack. There he stood chocolate cake smeared all across his face chocolate cake on his hands crumbs leading across the floor he had been caught in the act and Johnny was old enough to know better and he had been told that the chocolate cake was for after dinner But he had gotten busted by mom. The next few minutes are going to stay with Johnny for the rest of his life. And what do you think is going to happen? Is he going to get punished? Sent to his room without supper? Get a timeout? Or get the ever-dreaded wait until your father gets home? Some of you got that, I can see. Put yourself into little Johnny's shoes. What would you want to have happen? Now, some of us might not like chocolate cake. Statistically, 96% of us like chocolate. And 4% of you are weird and don't. (laughs) So even if you don't want chocolate cake, pretend it's a different kind of cake. But you know that when when somebody puts something there on the table in front of you and it looks good, like chocolate cake, and they said, don't touch it. It's for later. What happens? Like bells go off. Red arrows start pointing to it. You get the little devil on this shoulder and the little angel on this shoulder. You've got a cosmic war going on right on your shoulders with your head in the middle, Right? And this is what happens. Now, hold on to that thought. We're going to come back to that in just a second. Hold on to that. Today we're finishing up with Galatians. I hope you've got your Bibles open to Galatians chapter 6. Open up your Bibles and your devices. Um, We're at the limits of freedom today is what we're talking about. Paul's been talking to the churches of Galatia about the freedom they have from the law. But we're not free to do whatever we want. Because now we're led by the Spirit, and the Spirit is going to lead us back towards God. Right? And the beginning of chapter 6 is a little bit like Proverbs. It's just filled with all these great little tidbits and advice, and and things that you've probably heard before as we go through this. You're probably going to recognize some of these. Let's dive right in. Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. It says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch out yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. Now, back to little Johnny. He's been busted red-handed, or chocolate-handed. Right? 
chocolate's on his face, it's on his hands. He is guilty. Ever been there? That's a word we know. Guilty, right? That's a word we're probably far too familiar with. Guilty. What does Paul tell us we're supposed to do for somebody that's been caught in sin? Restore that person gently. Now, if you're mom or dad and you just caught little Johnny doing that, is gentleness the first thing on your mind? (laughs) Probably not. Especially if Johnny has a habit of doing things like this. And this is not a first-time offense. Right? We may be frustrated. We we may be, you know, just trying to hold it back. What are we going to do? What are we going to say? How do you respond to that? I'm going to leave that up to you guys. But it's gently. Now the word that's used here in the original language, this restore word, meant in the original language, there's a word they used when they mended their fishing nets. So you had your fishing nets and it had a big hole in it. You got to tie all those lines and all those knots and you would mend your nets. Well, it takes a long time. You tie all those knots by hand. So there's this, this concept of time that goes with it. In the Greek, the word meant to set and heal a broken bone. So if like somebody breaks their arm, you've got to pretty carefully set that arm, get the bone straight so they can heal. And it takes a time for the bone to heal, right? We've all seen kids walking around with a cast on their arm. It takes a couple months sometimes for that bone to heal. So there's this concept of time that comes with it. Because the wounds of sin must be dealt with carefully and gently so that they mend. And it takes time. It takes time. Now this also comes with a warning. It says, but watch yourselves or you also may be tempted. Because that's so easy for us to do, right? Well, she's doing it, and he's doing it, and all those people back there are doing it. It must be okay. Paul says, no, not necessarily, right? Be careful that you are not tempted. Watch out for that. And the last thing we see there is carry each other's burdens, and in this way you fulfill the law of Christ. Have you ever experienced a rough time? I mean, a really rough time. Something really horrible and and difficult. Maybe a divorce, or you're struggling with an addiction, or I, I don't know, whatever. But something really tough. And sometimes people come up and they have good advice. And they mean well, right? And they tell you things. Well, you just need to do this. Well, it'd be great if you would just do that. Right? And they mean well. But oftentimes the person they're talking to can get bitter and maybe a little bit resentful because they don't want advice. They don't want logic. What do they want? Somebody to help them carry the load. Right? If you care, help me carry the load. Now, 
Paul's been telling us we don't need the law. And all of a sudden he says, you will fulfill the law of Christ. What's he mean by that? I mean, it almost sounds like he got bipolar here or something for the second, right? Now, we need to be careful because here he says, the law of Christ. He's not talking about the Mosaic law that came down through Moses, that the Jews added all these other laws to. He's talking about the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Two things. Love God. Love your neighbors. He says, when you help carry each other's burdens, you fulfill the law of Christ. You're loving your neighbor. When you love your neighbor, you're loving God. Because God wants you to love your neighbor. And so you fulfill the whole law of Christ when you help your neighbors. When somebody needs help. What do we learn? Number one, be helpful. Now again, be careful how we be helpful. If you see somebody trying to pick up a heavy load, you could say, lift with your legs, not your back. That's helpful. It's good advice. But you could also bend over and help them pick it up. That would be more helpful. Right? So be helpful and, and really help. Really help. Let's keep going. Verses 3 to 5. It says, if anyone thinks they are something when they are not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to someone else. For each one should carry their own load. Right? Pride's a bad thing. We know this. We, we talk about this a lot. And sometimes as Christians, we can feel superior when we look at somebody else and say, ooh, look, they're, they're sinning. They're doing that. And, and I, I judge that as bad. And so now, you know, I'm good. Right? And we get prideful. You know, the reason the Bible tells us not to judge is because it doesn't hurt the other person. It hurts us. It hurts us. When we judge, it makes us prideful. I'm better than them. And that's not what we're supposed to do. Okay? So, he says, don't compare yourself to somebody else. See, when you compare yourself to somebody else, only one of two things can happen. You turn out better than them, and you get prideful. The second thing is, you turn out worse than them, and you get depressed. Neither one of those are good. So why do it? Right? Don't compare yourself to others. You can test your own actions against Christ's, against Christ's standard. Right? See what you're doing compared to what He wants you to do. Then you'll be happy with the things you've achieved. What do we learn from this? Number two, be humble. Be humble. Now the last sentence in there is kind of weird because it says, for each one should carry their own load. Now, in the one just above, he just told us we should help each other carry their loads. And now he tells us each one should carry their own load. It's like, come on, Paul, make up your mind. Right? This is not a contradiction, right? Each Christian is responsible for their own salvation. 
You don't get to get to heaven because your mommy or your daddy was a great Christian. And they're going to heaven, so therefore I'm going to heaven. Right? doesn't work that way. Each person is responsible for their own salvation. And so each person in that regard has to carry their own load. Now, God says, when somebody's struggling, come alongside and put a shoulder under that load and help them. But eventually, that person has to be responsible for their own load. Right? That person is responsible for themselves. We're to help each other, but nobody else can get to heaven because of somebody else. We're each one responsible. Going on, verses 6 and 7. It says, Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows, and whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. And whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Now so many times when we we read Paul's stuff, we've got to really stop and think about it. And here he talks so plainly, you almost kind of wonder, is that still Paul? Because we know that when you plant a seed, that's the plant you get, right? When you plant a bean seed, what do you get? Beans. When you plant a kernel of corn, what do you get? Corn. It's not a trick. It always works. And furthermore, you get it many times over. You plant one kernel of corn, you get one stalk of corn, it can have two, three, or four ears of corn on it, and each cob has how many kernels of corn? Hundreds, thousands maybe, I don't know, right? That's your homework. Go home and count how many kernels of corn are on a corn cob. I don't know. A lot, right? That one little kernel of corn produced thousands of times. We know this. There's not, there's not a surprise. And he says the same thing is true in the spiritual world. When you plant stuff from the flesh about me and it's the stuff I want, guess what you get? If you plant the stuff that's from the Spirit, guess what you get? Right? Pretty straightforward. Paul continues with that thought in verses 9 and 10. He says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family of believers. Right? So Paul's been answering, what do we do with the law? I've been telling you, you don't have to keep the law. You should follow the Spirit. But what do we do with this law? God gave it to us. It must be good for something. And what he's telling them right here is, basically, keep doing what the law tells you to do. The Ten Commandments are full of like really good advice. Keep doing that stuff. Don't get weary of doing it. Don't get tired of doing it. You can't earn your place in heaven by doing that. But it's something that we all should strive to do. Right? And when we become part of God's family, we're supposed to be helping each other. We're supposed to be doing good, especially to the family of believers. We're supposed to help one another. When you know that one of your family members here is struggling, we're supposed to help. 
Not gossip. Ooh, did you hear about? I'm telling you. That's not what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to help. Right? Every good deed is like a good seed. The harvest will come. And harvest time is always a good time. Amen? Number three, what do we learn? Be Spirit-led. Right? Be Spirit-led. Quit worrying so much about dotting I's and crossing T's. and Let the Spirit guide you. Ask the Spirit to impress upon you what you should be doing. Lord, who do you want me to talk to today? Let Him tell you who is ready instead of you trying to figure it out on your own. Several years at church here, we were having a luncheon up at Dennis the Menace Park after church. I was talking to two young ladies that had started coming to our church, been coming here a while. They're not here anymore, so don't look around. You won't recognize them. Um, And they were telling me how much they liked coming to Downey Church. They used two particular words, in in particular words, um, it was comfortable and it was freeing. And they described the church that they had come from that sounded like they had some problems and some issues and it was kind of legalistic and everybody was looking at everybody to who's sinning, who's doing what. And, you know, they wanted to get out of that and they came here and they, they liked the comfort. And I found that they used that word to be very interesting because for years my goal has been to make church comfortable. I want church to be a welcoming place where people want to come. I don't have to run around and say, ooh, you're doing this, ooh, you're doing that, ooh, you're doing, ooh, all you people back there, ooh. I don't know why I'm picking on the back today, guys, I'm sorry. Next time, sit in the front, no. I don't have to do that. You see, it's God's job to judge. It's Jesus' job to save. It's the Holy Spirit's job to convict. It's my job to love. I don't have to do that. I don't have to, ooh, you're doing this, ooh, you're doing that. Oh, you're not keeping the law. The Holy Spirit will convict you of those things. And the Holy Spirit might be here, and it might convict all of us on something different. As long as we've got a good pastor up here in the front teaching Bible truths, which we have had, it's good. The Spirit will take care of those things. See, when you are led by the Spirit, the Spirit leads you towards God. Because the Spirit is God. Paul makes a little change here, verse 11. He says, see what large letters I use. I write to you with my own hand. It would have been very popular in Paul's time to hire letter writers that could write beautifully and had all the right form and function and punctuation and whatever it is they had in all their letters. We know that he did this in Romans. And we believe he did it in a lot of his other letters. And he probably did it here. Because now he's getting to the point where he's saying, Listen, I'm writing you some stuff here with my own hand. And this is important stuff. So let's see what he says. Verse 12. 
Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Okay? Again, Paul is one last parting shot at these false teachers. They wanted the Gentile Christians to become Jews. Why? So they could avoid what? Being persecuted. Has Paul been persecuted for being a Christian? Yes. He's been in and out of jail. He's been whipped. He's been... One time they stoned him to what they thought was death. They left him for dead. And after the crowd left, the you know, disciples ran up to his followers and nursed him back to health. I mean, they thought they killed him. He, he, this is real persecution. We don't know persecution like this, right? We think we're persecuted because somebody laughs at us. Right? Ooh, he said a mean word to me. Okay? He, they, these guys had real persecution. And he says, listen, these false teachers want to avoid persecution. I mean, I get that. I, I like to avoid persecution too, right? He says, they're not interested in the Bible. They're not interested in serving God. They're interested in themselves. Right? Verses 13 to 14. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they can boast about your circumcision in the flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Right? Now these people, they wanted these folks, these Jewish, these Gentiles, sorry, these Gentile Christians to become Jews. So they could go back home and say, ooh, look at me. I converted all of these, these Christians to Jews. I'm so good. Right? That's what's happening here. And Paul's saying, they don't care about you. They care about themselves and how they're going to look when they go back home. And I apologize to all the English teachers I ever had. Verse uh, number four, be a Jesus boaster and not a me boaster. Okay? All my English teachers are probably turning over in their graves, but um, boast about Jesus. Boast about what God has done in your life. Don't boast about what you're doing. Verse 15. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is, say it with me, the new creation. What counts? The new creation. Who's the new creation? You are. I am. When we've walked away from all that legalism and all that, that flesh and all that self, and we said, Lord, I want to follow the Spirit, you are the new creation. Number five, be a new creation. Now, sometimes in our lives, like these Christians, these new converts in, in the Glacier area, they signed up and they got on the track and they thought they were on the right track, 
But somebody came along and got him pointed off on another track. And Paul's coming along and saying, get back on the right track. And sometimes that happens to us. Right? When we first signed up for this and we first got interested in God, we thought we were on the right track. But maybe now we look at our lives and we think, man, you know what? I'm not on the right track anymore. This is your opportunity to get back on the right track. This is your chance to turn back and say, you know what, I've gotten off course. I need to course correct and come back. It happens to a lot of folks. And it takes a very mature person to admit they've been on the wrong track. And I need to change. Today's your opportunity to do that. In front of you, you see you've got some of those little brown welcome cards. If you feel like you need to get back on the right track, I want you to write down on that. Just put your name on it. On the back are some lines. You say, you know, I'm interested in getting back on the right track. Pray for me. And I'm going to be praying for you. Maybe you've never made the commitment to even get on the track the first time. You've been staying at the station a long time. You say, you know what, it's time to get on the track. And start making some forward motion. Write that down on there. We'll start you up with some Bible studies. Okay? Don't miss this opportunity. You don't get many of them. Life's short. Life's very, very short. Take this opportunity. I want to pray for you. I'm not going to put your name like up in the bulletin. Ooh, these people said they were on the wrong track. I want to pray for you. Okay? Let us know. Fill out those cards. Put them in the offering when it comes by so that we can pray for you. And everybody, we're all, we're all interested in being on the right track. Amen? None of us want to be on the wrong track. It's not where we want to be. No point in that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this amazing message you've given us in the book of Galatians, Lord. An opportunity to look at what it means to walk away from all that legalism and all that mess and all those human desires and to start following the Spirit, listening to that voice, Lord. And it's going to take us time. It, it takes effort to turn off the TV and the phone and, and, and start listening to that small voice and what that's impressing us to do and where that's impressing us to go. But Lord, we ask that you be with us. Give us the courage to do that. Help us to be Spirit-led, to be that new creation. Lord, we ask this not because we're great and we deserve it, but because you are great and you promised it. Be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you have been blessed by this message from the Downey Seventh-day Adventist Church. You can find more messages at www.downeychurch.org. God bless.